We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast. So happy to be joining you right after the schedule has dropped. It was a crazy day of, of leaks and rumors and all this stuff, but we have the 17-game schedule, which still feels gross. Uh, so we're going to go over that entire thing, and we're going to have two interviews today as well. Joining me are my guys, Alex and Tyler. Tyler, we'll start with you today. How are you doing? I'm excited to be cautiously optimistic about this schedule. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing great, man. It was, it, was a, it was a fun day to be on Twitter talking everything. Uh, on a personal note, the, the schedule could not have worked out better for me because the University of Utah plays at San Diego State and Carson the same week as the Chargers host the Dallas Cowboys. And then Utah plays at USC the same week as the Chargers hosting the Browns. So on a personal note, couldn't have worked out better for me. On, a, on the Chargers note, we'll get to that point later. Uh, Alex, have you had to fight off any Tim Tebow lovers lately? <laughs> Yeah, I'm fucking happy that this schedule dropped because I'm sick of this Tim Tebow nonsense. I need it out of the news cycle, and I, I could not be more thankful that the NFL dropped this schedule on us because people are talking, oh, wins and losses. He played Um But, yeah, Urban Meyer is, in general, a plague on society, as are the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys fans that will overtake SoFi Stadium. Uh, and, yeah, but I'm ready to talk about the schedule. Yeah, so <laughs> the whole Tim Tebow thing is just nuts. Um, before we get to the schedule, we do have two interviews today. Uh, I was able to talk with our good friend Henry Edinger, who used to cover 
um, Rayshon, or Rashawn Slater when he was at Northwestern. He also works with us at Blue Wire and is the guy kind of, you know, in charge of recruiting us. So that is a fun interview. Again, uh, that's going to be on a separate video video if you're watching us on YouTube. And then second, we have Scott Dotterman, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes for The Athletic. Had a great conversation with him about Nick Neiman. So, again, if you're watching on YouTube, those are in separate videos. If you are listening in the audio version, those are going to happen right now. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm so happy to be joined now by friend of the show, Henry Edinger, who covers the Browns for Blue Wire, fellow Blue Wire podcast. Uh, but he's on the show today because he happened to uh, cover Rashawn Slater and the Northwestern Wildcats while he was in college. Uh, so very happy to have him on the show. Henry, how are you doing today, man? I'm fantastic, Stephen. Uh, very excited to change things up. I, I do love my Browns, but also to get to talk some Northwestern football, because I've been talking about the Browns for the last couple of years, really, pretty much all the time. And although I watch every Northwestern game at this point, I'm pretty much confined to texting my college buddies about it. So very excited <laughs> to actually uh, get back into swing of things and talk about them again. There we go. So just we will talk about the Browns really quickly. And if you guys are interested in the Browns, make sure you check him out at the Rebuild, again, found on Blue Wire. You can follow him at Henry underscore Enninger as well. So, Henry, uh, I think the Browns, I, I, they've been regarded very highly this offseason. Uh, you know, the Chargers have as well. But what what kind of ceiling are the Browns looking at after this past weekend? Well, I think the Browns' ceiling is still ultimately, you know, it ride or dies with Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, and I think – Look, I, they, I think they have a Super Bowl roster. I, I thought that before the draft, but the draft also fell in their favor. They also added a, a Northwestern guy in Greg Newsom, yeah. addressing their biggest needed outside corner for sure. And then Jeremiah Wusukoromoa fell to them in the second round. It sounds like Huge because fan. of some heart issues. But, you know, if he is on the field, he's a Swiss Army knife as far as a linebacker safety hybrid that – a bunch of people had, you know, as one of the top 15, 20 players on their board. So, you know, you throw those two guys into the mix, a speedster and Anthony Schwartz in the third round to to complement Odell Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry, and you're off to the races. I mean, this team was really held back by its defense last year more than its offense, and they are looking at eight or nine new starters between the draft and free agency. Basically, everybody outside of Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward has some competition, at least, at their position. Well, we kind of joked about, you know, on our show before the season started or before the offseason started, like, oh, like the the Chargers could look to the Browns as kind of like their model of how to build around their young quarterback, go get him a, an, analyt- an analytically driven head coach who will be able to, you know, upgrade the scheme, upgrade the offensive line, get him some more weapons, and they've kind of done that. So it, I have to admit, it is a little weird living in a world where you look at the Browns as one of the top teams in the AFC. And, you know, frankly, I'm sick of watching the Chiefs win in, in December and January all the time. So if the Browns can do it, I think Chargers fans will be uh, happy with that outcome. I certainly hope so. They, they've got a small window here before they're likely going to have to give Baker an extension, and that might deplete this roster a, a little bit. But they, they've certainly given him all the tools. And, and I'm, a, I'm a Baker fan. I think last year in particular he made some, some great strides forward. But it, it's not going to be the, the roster's problem at all. They, they've surrounded him with a fantastic offensive line which has been huge to his development. And, and we'll certainly talk about that with the Chargers because I think that's yeah. one thing that they, they're getting really right here. And, and so now 
you know, as the NFL so often goes, it, it sits in your quarterback's hands. But uh, right. it, it's certainly exciting times in Cleveland. It is exciting times in Cleveland and exciting times in Los Angeles as well. Um, you know, obviously you're, you've been able to cover Rashawn Slater, and we're going to dive into him. Um, I personally never thought that the Chargers had a chance to get him at 13. I figured that he would go in the top 10, and then obviously, you know, the the teams you know ahead of them decided to go with the cornerbacks. The Giants traded out, which definitely helped them. Um, what was your reaction to the Chargers, you know, getting Rashawn Slater to fall in their laps? It was a great pick, I, I think, for them, and you you brought it uh, up. Tackles that are franchise cornerstone left tackle type players aren't available at 13 typically. Four yeah. tackles went in the top 13 picks last year. And depending on who you ask, Rashawn Slater was the number one tackle on some boards and certainly top two, I think, you know, pretty widely uh, as far as the draft experts go. So you just don't see that guy at 13, but you mentioned it. There were some other teams, you know, the Panthers, the Broncos that went on the defensive side of the football. And of course the quarterbacks played a huge piece in that as well with the bears trading up, but to get a a player like Slater at 13 uh, for the chargers is massive. I mean, we, you obviously have the quarterback in place here and you're trying to surround him with the right guys. They were almost too good. You know, this last season where you wouldn't think somebody like that would be available, but for Slater to, to reach them at 13, I thought was both surprising and very fortunate. Yeah, you know, just kind of comparing the the previous two classes, you know, I felt really, really good about all four offensive tackles last year. Um, I felt like all four of them would be able to be franchise cornerstone players. This year, obviously, really only the two in Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater. So definitely worked out in the Chargers' favor. Um, I'd like to go back in time a little bit, you know, because Rashawn Slater has kind of talked about his high school didn't win a lot of games. He was kind of under-recruited. What do you remember about the recruitment process for Rashawn Slater to Northwestern? Not highly touted. Not a highly touted guy. He was a three-star prospect, came in very under the radar uh, for the most part. Northwestern, for not being a powerhouse by any means, has had really solid offensive lines uh, under Pat Fitzgerald for really the last decade or so. And Slater came in, and I think most people thought was going to be a backup, but there was an open spot uh, available his freshman season at the right tackle position. And when that depth chart came out where, where Sean Slater had won the position battle there, I think a lot of people were surprised. This was not a guy that you know people were talking about in the recruiting process as somebody who was going to come in and start day one. He wasn't you know one of those four-star guys that gets Northwestern fans really excited because we never get five-star guys. <laughs> and so he really, as you said, was underrated the whole time. I mean, he obviously has an athletic pedigree. He's the son of a former NBA player, but... Other than that, there really wasn't a, a whole lot of buzz about the guy. You know, he came from Houston, not really a, a typical, you know, area for Northwestern to be recruiting. So really, uh, until week one uh, where he was starting for Northwestern, nobody talked about him. Nobody probably even knew who he was. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, as a as a Utah alumni, I can relate to that that whole experience of never getting five-star recruits. So. Um, definitely understand that process. We, you mentioned that he played at guard, he played at right tackle, he played at left tackle. That's kind of, you know, typically not what you see out of, you know, some an NFL offensive lineman who gets drafted in the first round. Typically, you're looking at someone who played maybe a guard for a year, then left tackle exclusively or right tackle exclusively. How did he handle 
all of the changes that was happening at Northwestern because, you know, that kind of movement is really unprecedented. It is, but I think it's important to remember, as I said, Northwestern has had a good offensive line, and when Rashawn Slater came in, Blake Hans was their starting left tackle, and for those who are not familiar with Blake Hans, he's now actually a, a reserve guard on the Browns, but an NFL-caliber offensive lineman, and so it, they also had you know, a, a really prolific center. They had some good guards, so Slater came in at right tackle because that was the only spot for him, and he was just a really talented player, and as you said, that's not the typical path. He slid into guard as well because of injuries and then ultimately ended up at left tackle his last season, but he was good in every spot. Uh, you know, we can talk about his production in more detail, but he was fantastic as a right tackle, graded out basically as the highest uh, freshman offensive lineman in the country there at his ta- you know, mix of tackle and guard. He did, performed admirably at left tackle, and I think that's part of the reason you know he's so attractive to many teams. I, I think personally that, that he is a left tackle for sure. I know there are certainly some doubts about that, and there's that idea that he, he might have to slide into guard. And sure, maybe that's not what the Chargers are looking for. But he was successful at guard, too. I mean, he was just all over the place. He handled the schemes well at Northwestern and, and pretty much dominated wherever they, they put him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you put it that way because the way that he dominated it is really interesting to me because the – no shade. But Northwestern was, was losing a lot his last year. And, you know, everybody mm-hmm. kind of talks about – the Chase Young game and how great he did against Chase Young. And then you look at the scoreboard and it's 52 to three. So what do you think that says about his demeanor and his personality that he's able to continue to take care of his business, despite when things around him on a team are not very, not going very well. Well, he came in a a very mature player, I would say already at Northwestern and he kept that his entire time, you know, whether it was, a position change, whether it was the team going up and down, he was a constant. And I think that's important, obviously, for an offensive lineman because, yeah. look, the whole position basically is about being a constant in terms of not letting somebody get to the quarterback, right? One mistake and there's, you know, there goes Justin Herbert's season potentially. And so it, it translates really well and he navigated all those different things. And you brought up the Ohio State game. This is a point I, I was going to bring up too. You know, thinking back two years ago, people – you know, we'll struggle to remember that far back in college football. But the Big Ten was much better two years ago than it was last year, really, especially in pass rush situations. Yeah. And so, yeah, everybody is talking about the, the Chase Young game with him, which he did a great job. The reps are there. You can see them. The game was 52-3. to three. It was over <laughs> halfway through the second quarter. I was there. And so, although that game was impressive, I think there were a bunch of other games. You know, he faced four or five defensive ends that ended up getting, you know, drafted in the NFL over these last couple of years. But at left tackle that season, there was a guy, A.J. Espinenza out of Iowa. There was a Michigan State guy. There was a Michigan guy. There, You know, in against Auburn in the bowl game that year, he faced uh, Marlon Davidson. And so there was just a plethora of NFL caliber defensive ends that he faced in college and performed very well against. I don't think he allowed a single sack in, 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 that year at left tackle. So no sacks allowed against five or six different guys. And that's not even throwing all the defensive tackles from the 2019 yeah. class of the Big Ten that ended up going pro. So a much deeper pass rush class than just that game against Chase Young. Yeah. But also, <laughs> he did shut down Chase Young. And now that everybody sees how much Chase Young is dominating the NFL, it's like, oh, maybe we should pay attention to that guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and, and if the NCAA weren't stupid, you know, Chase Young probably would have won the Heisman that year. Um, well, that's too much to say because Joe Burrow. But uh, anyway, I digress. So, you know, you mentioned the potentially switching into guard or maybe switching to right tackle. Let's let's talk about him as a left tackle only. What are the Chargers getting in him as a left tackle? And, and do you think that – I mean, you kind of already said this, but, you know, is he someone that can play left tackle in your mind for the next 10 years for the Chargers? I think so. And I, and I think that because although, you know, there are certainly concerns about his arm length, right? That's why everybody is saying, ah, he may have to move inside the guard because – most left tackles have the arm length, you know, to keep distance between them in the ends that are rushing them. But Slater is an elite athlete. He really is. He is fluid for his size. He's got tremendous footwork in both the run and the pass game. He tested uh, very well, obviously, but you see it when he plays. For how big he is, he moves very well. And so that's what really stands out when when you watch him. And I think that's why ultimately he can make up for that and be a left tackle in the NFL. The comparison I, I, I've seen out there that I like a lot is to Joe Staley, where Joe Staley had some you know similar concerns uh, about his, his arm length, but he had the requisite size. He he played with a certain amount of power and athleticism that he could get away with the slightly shorter arms. And I think that's the case for Slater too. And, you know, like we just talked about, I mean, the production was off the charts in college. So not only is he this elite athlete, but you combine both traits and production. And I mean, that's ultimately what makes a great NFL prospect, right? He allowed zero you know, sacks in his last season on 355 fast blocking attempts. And as I said, against elite, elite competition, as far as you can get in college. And then before that, you know, he was highest graded freshman offensive lineman, his second year was very solid as well. I think he allowed two sacks his second year, graded out extremely well on pro football focus then too. So you're combining a guy that seems to have the whole package, and that's why I was so surprised he was available. And as I said, even if he's not a left tackle, he clearly has the athletic traits that he could play right tackle or, or potentially guard as well. Yeah, definitely agree there. His I don't know if you remember this one block against Ohio State, you know, talking about the Chase Young game, but there's this one block where he goes from the left tackle and essentially all the way to the right hash to block Malik Harrison, the linebacker. And it's just like, you know, sometimes the four, like sometimes the athletic traits pop and sometimes they don't. And when you watch Rashawn Slater, it's like this guy pops. Like I'm so excited to get him on the team. And it's just, I can't wait to, you know, be able to watch him in the NFL. For sure. And, and when it comes to Northwestern football, typically there aren't a lot of athletes on the field. <laughs> so he, but because of that, he stood out. You, you know, what, you, of course, you know, this is simplifying things, but what makes a great offensive lineman? Somebody that big should not be able to move that fast. And when you watch yeah. N- Northwestern play, you're like, who is that guy who's running down the field with Justin Jackson and, and blocking, you know, 10, 15 yards? And, and it just stands out so much that. I'm not surprised that he ended up this high. It's just funny to me that he was a star at Northwestern even after his freshman season because we were like, wow, this guy's awesome. And then slowly but surely everybody else kind of caught on to that this guy, hey, he could he could be an NFL player. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite things about the pro day from Northwestern this year, uh, you see this 310-pound offensive lineman go and run his 40-yard dash, and then you watch one of his 240-pound linebacker teammates run a slower time than him, which was just kind of hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, but Henry, yeah, this, I, 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, he he is uh, an incredible athlete. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, you know, you you see it, you know, the, him being the son of a former NBA player, you see it in his feet. I mean, he just Understand. moves for, for his size. But it's just so much more fluid than, than you, I, you know, at least I've been accustomed to seeing Northwestern offensive linemen move. It really just it stood out so much. Absolutely agree there. So, Henry, this has been great, man. I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us and, you know, talking about Rashawn Slater and the Browns. We wish the Browns well. As I said, Chargers fans, you can follow Henry at Henry underscore Enninger and the host, of, and he's the host of the Rebuild podcast on Blue Wire. Thanks again, Henry. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. So happy to be joined now by Scott Dotterman, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes for The Athletic. Scott, thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Stephen. Uh, it's a beautiful Monday here in Iowa, so I can't complain. I hope everything is good for you, too. Absolutely. You know, post-draft life is great. I love getting, you know, beat writers to from the universities of the players that the Chargers draft, get some information and insight on them. Uh, so we're here to talk about Nick Neiman today, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what the Chargers are getting in their new running backs coach, Derek Foster, who obviously had a big role at Iowa as well. Yeah, Derek's kind of quiet, uh, a Southern guy. Uh, he was uh, really good at when he was at Samford and kind of caught Iowa's eye through the a couple of other um, when they when they were hired for a couple other assistants coaches jobs and they kind of kept him in their back pocket. And then when NCAA allowed a tenth assistant, that was a guy they called and and he really helped the running back room here. I mean, for a, 
for an offense that has such a reputation about running the football and great offensive linemen, they've really struggled to to get the most out of their running backs. And and I think Derek did a really good job of that over the last couple of years. Uh, there's a junior on the team. He was first team all Big Ten last year named Tyler Goodson. I'd fully expect him to be in the draft next year. I talked to an agent. and The ballpark right now is probably third to fourth round. And, and I think Derek did a lot with him. And even this year, uh, when his replacement is a is a guy named Liddell Betts. He was in the NFL for 10 years, uh, you know, a pretty good utility player for a long time. And, and he really touted what Derek was able to do with that room. And, and they went from, uh, you know, just kind of being impatient a little bit as a running in the zone scheme. And instead he was able to kind of get them to, to flash a little more vision to see the hole opening up. And a lot of times with those younger players, that really helped them. And they ended up having uh, go. they went from a really bad 3.9 yards per carry to 4.6 in in, this, in over a year. So, I, you know, is he going to make that, those kind of miracles at the next level? No. Uh, it's all about the players. Uh, but I do think he's a really good choice, and he's, a, he's just a really good person. So I, I think he's – He's got a good future as a position coach uh, for a long, long time. Awesome. Hopefully he sticks in Los Angeles for, for the next little bit. They've kind of cycled through running backs coaches over the last little bit. So that'll be good for to have him on, hopefully for the long term. Um, all right, let's get to the, the, the featured topic here, which is Nick Neiman. Um, you know, I think people have this kind of stereotype of when they think of like a white Big Ten linebacker. Um, that doesn't really fit Nick Neiman's bold. So what was kind of – or, or let me say this, where were you kind of expecting him to get drafted in, in terms of like round? And then what was your reaction when the Chargers did eventually call his name? Yeah, I, I would say after last season, I would say based on his production, his size, his speed, I thought he would probably be a late round selection. His, his older brother, Ben, as we all know, has, has been with the Chiefs for a couple of years. He was a, a priority free agent for the Chiefs and has been a really good sub package guy, special teamer. And Nick really fits that. Now, Nick's a little bit taller, a little bit faster than Ben. Ben had a little bit better resume at Iowa. And part of that was uh, the Big Ten has changed schematically, and he was kind of at, at the mercy of that. Nick was a little bit because Iowa traditionally ran a 4-3 with kind of a Leo outside backer that oftentimes walked over the slot and, and would cover either the, the tight end or the, or the slot, and, and uh, that just didn't seem to work. There were a few quicker players that got took the advantage of Nick, and, and especially in one game against a heated rival in Wisconsin, and and uh, he got injured on the play. So they switched to a 4-2-5, which kind of left him more, uh, you know, in the lurch a little bit just as far as where is he going to line up. Well, he ended up kind of moving his way inside to kind of a weak side linebacker role, and that seemed to really fit him well because, you know, there's a, there's, there's a perception, as you mentioned, of kind of this sledgehammer inside linebacker that's too slow. They run a 4-9. Yeah. yeah, they'll, they'll – they're good at goal line, but that's about it. No, he's a really good player in space. Um, you know, he was just trying to cover a 4-3 slot receiver. That was really difficult for him at times. But uh, I, I think when, the way he played, he really played his best football last year, uh, you know, through an eight-game, you know, abbreviated season. And um, so I, I thought I expected him. And then I'd heard some good things about his times kind of in the off season. He went to Nashville and trained there uh, and then came back. And his pro day just – it was just incredible. Um 
you know, with this three cone at, at 6.67. I mean, that was only two linebackers ever have had better times than that in the three cone, which really shows his uh, ability to kind of move laterally and, yeah. and quickly. And uh, his 40 time was great. Uh, so I expected him to get drafted because at a bare minimum of what you're going to get with Nick Neiman is a guy who's going to probably be a sub package guy, maybe play 10 to 15 snaps a game. And then on every special team, and those guys are valuable, uh, especially at, uh, you know, for, you know, when you're kind of churning through a roster. So I thought at a minimum, that's what a team's going to get. And I, I know this, the Chargers have a pretty good secondary and, and they're now going, you know, with Brandon Staley as that coach. I, I think that he's probably a good piece. Is he a starter? Eh, I, don't, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Maybe he is in two to three years, but I do think he, at a minimum, he's got great leadership skills. He's your heart, typical good things you, you stereotype about an Iowa or a Big Ten guy. Hardworking, comes in, does his job. So I think for a lot of defenses, that's that's what you need. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know that obviously has that kind of role definitely carries a lot of value, especially for a team like the Chargers, who were historically bad on special teams last year. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned his leadership skills. You mentioned you know he had an injury and and kind of got benched. How did you see Nick Neiman grow as a person and as an individual while at Iowa? You know, early on, he was just kind of this this athlete behind his brother, and they played the exact same position, that Leo outside linebacker. And, uh, you know, Ben has a lot of characteristics that, that Nick was able to grow into. And, you know, Nick was kind of the older brother, so the leadership was maybe a little bit more natural, a little bit more organic, where Nick was a little bit quieter. But Nick got forced into it a little bit this year, in particular, when he did move inside. Uh, to, there were a couple of opt-outs on the inside linebacker spot, and, and then there were a couple of injuries in camp, so he had to start right away at middle linebacker. And you could just tell by his efficacy, maybe the, his mannerisms, the, the the intangibles that aren't real apparent you know on paper or whatever but you can tell by just the way he carries himself that he's a voice in the room he's a guy that everybody kind of respects and responds to and uh, this turned out to be a really good defense as a whole uh, they were you know number one in points allowed uh, or yards allowed per play and top five in points allowed so and he was at the center of that because he was making a lot of the calls especially when there was a lot of injuries at linebacker so. Um, you could see that part of it. His game grew. He was able to, uh, you know, make be more physical and assertive. I think early on he was kind of pigeonholed a little bit like his brother. He's going to just fit in that that uh, spot. Uh, but by the end of it, they realized, hey, he's a little bit more athletic and active and probably should be more in the center of the defense. Well, that's great that you mentioned that he's able to kind of adjust on the fly because – I mean, I'd be lying if I said I was fully comfortable with the Chargers linebacking core staying healthy. And so I think, of you know, eventually Nick Neiman's probably going to have to play some games this year. Uh, and it seems like, you know, he, he has the temperament to kind of adjust on the fly and maybe excel in that kind of role too. Yeah, I think he's – I think his best possibilities, just judging early on, would be probably more of a, of a sub-package guy that maybe if you're going to a, a 3-2-6 on – longer passing downs. Maybe he's one of your two backers because he can cover. Probably if you're talking about a zone, maybe that linebacker zone where tight ends come into it, he can handle that just fine. Um, You know, to play middle might be a bit much for him right away, but I do think he can play over the tight end if you're, uh, you know, whatever the the main package is. 
he can kind of rotate and move. So by, by year two or three, I think he'd be very comfortable as a, you know, every down type of player. Now, injuries, who gets drafted over him, all that stuff is, is right. hard to say. I'm just kind of making his linear projection as, as a, by, you know, year three, I think he could be a real valuable member of that defense. And, and again, his, his brother kind of shows you what he's capable of. I think his brother had a little bit bigger resume at Iowa, but however, Nick has more athletic upside. So there is potential for him to be um, a very good defender. I'm not going to go as far as say pro bowl or anything like that, but I think he can be a guy that you can put him on your defense and feel like, all right, we don't need the upgrade there, especially in year three or four, if he hits those projections. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a safe call. Um, I'm interested though, because I mean, the the two brothers played at Iowa. Now they're going to be division rivals with the Chiefs and the Chargers. What's that going to be like for the family? That's going to be really fun to watch in some ways. I mean, their their dad, Jay, uh, is a, a an assistant coach at Iowa. So, you know, they've all went – it was really kind of cool in, this, in that period where the Chiefs won the Super Bowl because – uh, Iowa went to the Holiday Bowl and won, and Nick Neiman had a pick six against USC. And then a couple weeks later, a month later, whatever it was, uh, they all went together, and, and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and they were all there for that. So going head-to-head, they are very competitive. I mean, there were times when – uh, you know, the older teammates would give Ben a hard time <laughs> about his younger brother being able to beat him in a race and stuff. And you can see <laughs> even in those, you know, and Nick is, and, and both of them are just fantastic humans, but you can see Ben was a little irritated by that. He's like, yeah, he's not going to beat me though. You know, just that kind of thing, you know, like, so I, I imagine if they get lined up like kick off versus kick return or punt versus punt return, uh, they're going to be throwing down. And uh, I'm in- interested for Jay because there was one point where he was at Rutgers. He was a defensive coordinator, and his sons had to go to Rutgers to play against him. And I think it was 2016. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, I remember talking to him about that, and it was very difficult because it was one thing for him to actually scheme against Iowa's offense, but it was another thing to go, well, <laughs> I do kind of want to watch my son play on the same field. Right. So that, that was a challenge for him. That's funny. We, we've seen, you know, obviously Derek Watt from Wisconsin was on the Chargers. Yeah. So we've seen some Watt brother battles, but, you know, Derek being a fullback didn't play a whole lot. And so, you know, getting a brother rivalry like this one is going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next couple of years. Oh, for sure. And and they're both great guys. So I, I would imagine that, you know, it, but they'll be very competitive. It, it won't be, uh, hey, I'm going to love tap you. I mean, they'll thump you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've done that practice. And, and I'll say this. One thing that I, I kind of wondered about Nick, because he is a little bit taller than Ben. He's, you know, 6'4", pushing, you know, between 235, 240, is I always thought he would be really good if they flipped him to the other side of the ball and be a tight end. I just – so I could see – a role for him like on field goal and kind of being like a wing back type or even a tight end type. And, and at some point maybe that'll come into play for a, a fake or something like that. But, but by, you know, his, his position of course is linebacker. And I think that's, he'll be, uh, at, like I said, he'll, at a minimum, he'll be a core special teamer, sub package yeah. guy and, and really help out in those margins. Cause obviously the chargers have a heck of a quarterback coming back. Absolutely. So, Scott, this has been awesome, man. I cannot thank you enough for joining us to talk about Nick Neiman and Derek Foster. Chargers fans, if you want any scoop on the Iowa Hawkeyes, make sure and 
Follow Scott at Scott Dodgerman on Twitter and The Athletic at The Athletic CFB. Scott, thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. All right, so let's talk about the home opener for the Chargers uh, because I, I think that's just kind of the, the good place to start. Um, we were kind of talking about this in our group chat as the Dallas Cowboys kind of being the worst case scenario for the Chargers in terms of the home opener. Maybe Raiders would, would have been second. Um, so, Alex, what do you make of the Chargers getting the Dallas Cowboys as their home opener? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very winnable game. Like, I'm sure it'll be the CBS America's game of the week or whatever, and they'll throw Romo out there. Um, but, you know, so it'll be a fun game from, like, a national attention standpoint. Right. Um, but the thing about, you know, that's not one of the primetime games. Kind of is the primetime game, though. But the, the takeaway from the other ones, you know, they have Chiefs primetime, they have Steelers primetime, and they have uh, Raiders primetime on Monday night. And all of those fan bases travel. Um, Cowboys fans don't even travel. They just exist everywhere because they're America's team. Um, and so that's, that's the concerning thing to me about the schedule was not really like, oh, wins and losses, you know, because I could probably add up the schedule and get to like, 10 and 7 or 11 and 6, whatever. But, you know, we do talk about, like, fighting for L.A., and it's like, you know, the league is valuing the Chargers this year by by giving them, you know, I, I think the third most primetime games, you know, in the league. But um, it, it, it's just a tough thing with, with the fan base conversation. Now, yeah. I do think that, you know, game against the Cowboys might be a good opportunity for them because that's, like, the first game that everybody will be interested in, you know, who's a season ticket holder as opposed to like hosting them in week seven when people have other things to do or don't want to go and resell. Um, But, you know, I I hope for the best. And at least if it doesn't go well from a fan perspective, the Cowboys wear blue, so it won't be too bad um, from, (laughs) from, you know, fan crowd pictures on Twitter. But I, I do worry about that a little. I don't think this is the worst-case scenario. I would have much rather played Dallas Week 2 than the Steelers, who also overtake the stadium and have have been disgustingly overtaken the stadium the past two times they've played. And at least the Chargers have some history of success against the the Cowboys. The Steelers, like, yeah, they beat them in in 2018, but at home it's been kind of a mess, especially the last time they played, which was like the first time we really knew that Rivers was on the way out. Um, As far as Dallas, the team goes, I think their defense will be improved at some point in this season, but they're going to have a lot of rookies playing a lot of snaps for them, whether it be Parsons, Jabril Cox, um, Joseph, Golston, and so on. So I think there's just so many rookies that the Chargers can take advantage of that as early as week two. And, you know, as far as the fan thing goes, this is going to be a multi-year issue. Like if we think that by the time the, you know, well, what's the last home game, the KC game, or no, the Broncos game at home, if we think by then the Chargers are just Chargers fans are just going to come out in flocks and fill the stadium, I'd love for that to happen. I'd love to see you guys all out there, but I think this is a yeah. long, long. It's going to take a long time to get enough Chargers fans oh, in that stadium, unless there's something that I'm completely missing because I was at StubHub too, and that wasn't very fun. So, you know, if it's Dallas, whatever, you know, it's just gonna it's gonna take some time. They just need to win, and hopefully they at least win Week One, so you know fans will show up to the game in, in Week Two. Yeah, it's not going to be as bad as StubHub. I, I, you know, I think yeah. that was a, a combination of a lot of things. And, you know, like everybody always wants to go to California, like traveling teams. 
But when you're in StubHub, it, it, it's just magnified because there's only there was only twenty eight thousand seats, and so mm-hmm. I think with the when SoFi where it's going to be able to be spread out bigger, and I don't even know if it's going to be hundred percent capacity in week two. I, I would love for that to be the case, but you know, given the state of of COVID, you know, around the country still going on, I don't know if it's going to be hundred percent capacity. Um, then again, the mask mandate is is supposedly being lifted in California in June, so um, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the Chargers this year. I love the three primetime games. I was maybe hoping for one one road game, but you know you get three home primetime games as as Alex alluded to. You're probably going to get Dallas as the game of the week on CBS. Probably get game, a couple other games of the week as well. Um, so there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the Chargers, and that obviously is going to be a big opportunity for them as a team and for us as a fan base to be able to go up and and show out. So. You know, we're all sick of this narrative that we don't have any fans. The Chargers don't have any fans. And so this is, you know, it's not going to be the year to be like, hey, like we're 100% sold out at SoFi Stadium. I don't think that's ever going to be the case just because of it's in California, it's in Los Angeles. But, you know, show up to the Cowboy game. Show up to the Steelers game. Show up for the Raiders game. You know, and then we can kind of begin to at least quiet that narrative going forward. I will say, you know, winning is kind of contagious. Like even at SoFi Stadium, that that twelve and four uh, season, like you know, they did start to catch fire kind of late. And that Ravens game, which a lot of people expected to be, oh, the Ravens are going to take over the stadium, was mostly Chargers fans, right? So, you know, you kind of have moments like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> the game didn't go too well, but they did beat them in the playoffs. Uh, you know, you have moments like that, that uh, where it's just like, hey, look, if they look like a twelve and five team uh, by the end of the season and they look like a team that can be competitive, uh, I, I think they have a chance, you know, uh, to, to fill up some of these games. And it's it's better for them if they do get off to a good start that, say, you know, the Chiefs and Steelers are, are down the road. I'm just hoping Chargers fans can afford to go to these games. I'm hearing ticket prices north of $500 a seat. I don't know where people are yeah. picking from, but if you're paying $500 a seat, you're paying a lot more than I paid for my seats. Yeah, and it could be a lot worse, right? That The Raiders opening Monday night football game against the Ravens, like it was like lowest available I saw was like 700 bucks. Like that's <laughs> that's crazy. So uh, the sweet irony of Raiders fans giving us so much shit for not having any fans, that, you know, they're going to experience the same kind of thing in Las Vegas. So uh, I'm going to run down the entire list of, of the schedule, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of jump around some general takeaways, and then we'll also kind of go game by game and give our thoughts about each week. So, the Chargers obviously open on the road against Washington. Week two at home against Dallas. Week three at Kansas City, which will be great not to have a winter game in Kansas City for once. Uh, at home against the Raiders on Monday Night Football. At home against the Browns. At Baltimore, week seven is the bye. Week eight on Halloween at home against the Patriots. Week nine at Alex's Eagles, which would be fun for him. Uh, week 10 at home against the Vikings. Week 11, home against the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. Week 12 at the Denver Broncos. Week 13 at Cincinnati. Week 14 home against the New York Giants and the Turnover Machine. Week 15 home against the Chiefs on Thursday Night Football. Week 16 at Houston. Uh, Who knows what the hell is going to be going on there. Week 17 home against the Broncos. And then week 18, the the season finale at the Las Vegas Raiders. So the one thing in terms of primetime TV, week 18 is kind of being left open from all the NFL networks. Um, and that's not going to be the case for the Chargers. I'd be pretty surprised if they put Chargers Raiders on primetime TV. Um, so just wanted to point that out. So, uh, Tyler, what are your kind of, what's your main takeaway looking at this schedule 
one to eighteen. Uh, that we are really in for a ride for the first half of the season because it's going to be tough for this team. Um, I think yeah. some it's like I think some games are are winnable. Like I could convince you that they would beat the Washington football team week one. That's going to be really tough. Dallas is going to be tough. Obviously, yeah. Kansas City. You know, Vegas is whatever, but then the Browns are really good. Baltimore, the Chargers stopping the run this year, the bye week, and then they have New England, a team that they can never be. I mean, this this season they might be look really really rough until like until week 12, honestly. So as far as the season goes, like it's going to be a, a rough start for them for sure. If it's anything other than a rough start for the first 12 weeks, that's a win for a first-year head coach. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, there's some tough games kind of in that schedule. The first thing that kind of jumped out at me is that uh, Brandon Staley gets really thrown into the fire here in terms of his coaching matchups. He gets to go against Ron Rivera week one, then Mike McCarthy, then Andy Reid, John Gruden, uh, then a game against, you know, um, Stefanski, then Harbaugh, then Belichick. So he's getting thrown really into the ringer, and and that's kind of a a cause for a little bit of concern, uh, I think, in terms of, you know, how the schedule plays out for rookie head coach, right? We saw Anthony Lynn kind of start slow that first year and then, you know, picked it up with the 9-3 and finish in 2017, uh, which, you know, that may be what happens here. Obviously, we hope they don't start 0-4. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's a rough start. Um, but, you know, the, the back half of the schedule is a little bit better where they get teams like the Bengals and the Giants and the Texans. Um, interestingly, they do have the same kind of stretch they had last year with Chiefs, Broncos, and Raiders all at the end of the year, um, which is yep. the second Always. time. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird, but, um, you know, they just cram those games in. Uh, and the last thing, yeah, that kind of jumped out initially when I looked at it is the Week 7 bye because the Chargers for a while have had that late uh, season bye, Week 11, Week 12, obviously last year because of covid uh, it got switched to week six because, uh, God, I don't even remember what it was, the Broncos-Patriots COVID situation. Um, I yeah. think that's what caused it. But, you know, so them having a similar buy to what they had last year as opposed to the late buy they normally have uh, is kind of interesting to me. It is interesting. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of a tough situation because you get your first six games and then you have to play the last 11 all in a row, which – uh, I know, you know, they don't necessarily have, like, the toughest schedule to end the season as opposed to the start, but that is interesting. So I'm glad that, Tyler, you kind of brought up the first-year coaches because I think, you know, there's been so much talk this year about, oh, the Chargers are a dark horse Super Bowl candidate. Like, there's always an off-season hype train for the Chargers, right? Like, this is nothing new, but it feels different this year. It feels like people are legitimately buying in, and, and it doesn't come with the caveat of, like, well, it always happens, but... So I went through and looked at the last 10 years uh, and kind of ran down for LAFB, you know, through the his like what the history tells us, uh, tells us of first year head coaches and what we can kind of expect. So in the last 10 years, there's been 45 new like first year head coaches. I'm not counting, you know, obviously a, a guy like Doug Marone, who was hired twice, Bruce Arians was hired twice, that kind of thing. Talking only first-time head coaches. So the Chargers obviously familiar with the situation with Mike McCoy, who was a first-time head coach, and Anthony Lynn, and now Brandon Staley. So of the 45 first-year head coaches, only 12 made the playoffs in their first year, including Ben McAdoo, surprisingly, Adam Gaze, and Mike McCoy. So just kind of funny looking. 
it is disgusting. Just kind of looking at like how everything ran down. It was so funny, you know, looking at, at what history has told us. Like Doug Peterson had the worst record of his cycle in his first season. He went seven and nine. And then the following year, went 13 and three, won the Super Bowl. The following year, I think they made it to the conference championship game again, right, Alex? Obviously, that tenure ended in flames, but it's just kind of funny, like looking at these first year head coaches. And you look at a guy like Doug Peterson, who ended up being the most successful of the group, and he had the worst record in year one. So that's my way of saying, like, don't expect this to be, like, firing on all cylinders from day one. This this is going to take time. The Chargers can absolutely win a lot of games. They definitely have the talent. But history has told us that it, it is very difficult for first-year head coaches to really come in and hit things in stride. I will say that, you know, recently it's been a little bit more uh, easier, I guess you could say, for first-year head coach to make the playoffs of the last 22 in the last five years. Eight have made the playoffs. So it's improving. It's getting a little easier. But, you know, I just just be a little cautious on the high train. You know, I have people telling me that the Chargers could go 14-3 and three today in my mentions. Like, ease up a little bit. Give Brandon Staley some slack. You know, it takes time to build up, you know, a high-level program. It's not going to be fired on all cylinders from day one. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's kind of funny. Um, well, you know, there's 17 games this year, but every year I would look at the schedule and be like, oh, this looks like 10-6, and six, and then they never go 10-6. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that. But, um, yeah, no, this schedule, to me, I mean, we'll get to record predictions later but it is kind of a murderer's row in those first couple weeks, and then it gets a little bit easier. So, yeah, I, I definitely see the kind of same concerns um, with Staley. And, and like I mentioned, just like the coaching matchups that he has to go through as a first-time head coach in those first six, seven weeks um, is a little rough. And then, you know, down the stretch, he gets some more, you know, kind of rookie head coaches. Um, but, yeah, not not too great there uh, for him but, yeah, I, I think it's all about patience, and, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be the team everybody wants them to be week one, um, but I, I do think at some point they will kind of round into form. If I'm going to have a faith, some faith in a coach, I do have some faith in Staley just because he was able to take, even just as a week, or excuse me, a year one defensive coordinator, which is very different. He did do a great job right. with the Rams, who – you know, the Rams came off of their bye and held Seattle and Tampa Bay to 16 and 24 points. They only allowed 19 games points per game before the bye. They only allowed 18 points per game after the bye. So he is a guy who can come in and instill some change. Whether he can do that for an entire team and fix everything, including special teams, and also somehow figure out the injury issue, uh, who is to know? As I get older and wiser as a Chargers fan, I start to temper my expectations just a little bit. Last right. year I had them going 10 and 6. Because I look at every game on the schedule and think, will this healthy team beat that healthy team? Uh, but now I have to start accounting for the injuries that are inevitable. Because I know that at some point during the preseason, we're going to be doing the math in our heads about how many games you know, Derwin James is going to be out and whether he can return for week eight versus the Patriots. It's inevitable. We've done it the last two seasons. It's probably going to happen with some player this year, and that's unfortunate. Um but the injuries happen, and I, so I need to learn how to temper my expectations just a little bit. But either way, no matter what happens year one, for me, what matters the most is what happens in year three, because the Chargers seem to always have, well, not always, but with McCoy and Lynn, they have two good years. They make the playoffs at least one of those years and win a game in one of those two years. And then year three, it tanks off. So even if the yeah. Chargers 
do really well this year based off of a roster that they're kind of trying to change overturn anyway. Like, show me what who you are in year three. So, you know, for me, this is all just great. Show me development. Show me a good line. Show me Herbert developing. Show me, you know, communication, analytics-driven, you know, offense, whatever. I'm still waiting for year three. Like, this is a great year. It's all fun. I'm going to enjoy being there at SoFi with everybody. But, you know, I'm waiting for you. I'm honestly waiting for year three. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at this as as kind of a developmental year, you know, like in college, it's obviously a little different, right? But, you know, some years you're going to have a college football team, unless you're Alabama or Clemson, that is just, you know, a young team that is going to have some growing pains. And you obviously have to temper expectations a little bit. And if you're lucky, that team could have the talent to certainly, you know, reach their their ceiling. And the Chargers can certainly do that, right? Like if the Chargers offensive line is able to, you know, gel relatively quickly and they protect Justin Herbert and the offense is more efficient, particularly in the red zone, which is certainly possible, then, yeah, they can be one of those cases that they strike lightning in a bottle and they do make the playoffs in year one. Sorry about that. Um, you know, so it is possible. It's just I, I don't know how likely it is. And this, you know, you talk about the coaching staff being thrown in the fire. The offensive line is being thrown to the fire too. You have Washington right off that. You get to play Cleveland in the first game in the first couple of weeks with Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. You get to play Baltimore, who's going to blitz them 37 times out of 50. Like it, it's going to be a tough few weeks for the offensive line. And, you know, if Brian Balaga gets hurt, then it's going to get a little bit harder. So it's going to take some time if they develop and, and things are improving throughout the season, then the Chargers can still have a great season and not win 12, 13 games. It's just all about, you know, tempering those expectations and realizing who the Chargers are is a team that needs to keep developing, like Tyler was saying. I will say, like, you know, if Brandon Silly does do something as significant as, you know, fixed second-half defense, right, like that definitely would have helped last year, right? And then you can kind of talk yourself into the, well, they were 7-19, and maybe they would have been at 10-16. and Um, You know, but this year, yeah, I I definitely think they have a harder schedule. So I think keeping, you know, expectations in check um, (laughs) and just the reality of those first six, seven, eight weeks um, that definitely is kind of necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go game by game here. Obviously the Chargers open at Washington. You know, we kind of talked about it a little bit. The thing about Washington on paper, they, they seem to have improved their roster. They get Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of, you know, they started six quarterbacks last year, which was just a mess. They still won the division, made the playoffs. Granted it is the NFC least, but they still won the division. They still made the playoffs and, you know, they should be, better on paper at least on offense defensively I think they're going to have the defensive rookie of the year in Jamin Davis they've got Chase Young they've got Deron Payne they've got all these guys that bring over um, I forget his name the cornerback from Cincinnati who that will be a fun matchup with William Jackson William Jackson thank you so there are definitely ways to look at Washington as not a great team but I think on paper they have made enough improvements where I could look at them in my opinion, is the clear favorite to win the NFC East again. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of looking at my phone right now, and I saw the Chargers open as a two-point favorite in that game, which means they would yeah. be a five-point favorite on a neutral field. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that. Um, I think Washington is a re- really good defense. 
Um, you know, the Fitzpatrick thing, like, you know, he does bring some stability and we've seen plenty of runs where Fitzpatrick plays like an MVP the first four weeks um, and then tails off. So that, that concerns me a little bit. Um, but the Chargers do have Justin Herbert and, you know, they have one uh, against Washington before, most recently, uh, a couple of years ago with the, that 30-13 game. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a it's a interesting matchup. I don't think it's like a really hard game, a really easy game. It's just an interesting road matchup. Yeah, the whole Fitzpatrick thing is a real downer. I was trying to think of who their quarterback was. I'm like, well, you know, the Chargers will probably have a quarterback advantage. And I think they will. I think Herbert is a better yeah. quarterback than Fitzpatrick, except for the fact that Fitzpatrick can somehow throw out 400 <laughs> yards because he feels like it. But yeah. I will say that Denver last year with Fangio and, of course, Ronaldo Hill, they played Fitzpatrick just in the second half of that Miami game, and they held him to you know zero TDs, one interception, and a QBR of 30.4. And then the last time the Rams played the Washington football team, they demolished him 30-10. to 10. So I do think there are people on this coaching staff who can make this work. I just think, I don't know, like week one against that good defense, this is a real toss-up for me. I don't know. Do you want to call predictions yet? Because I will say that this is a loss. Yeah, I've I, like the thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, is he a long-term upgrade? Obviously not. But the thing that he does better than you know most of the quarterbacks in the league is that he just chucks it up. He doesn't give a <laughs> shit, and he's gonna throw forty times a game and, and put it all on the line. He's he's very you know gunslinger esque. And do they have the skill set, the skill players to do that? I really like Terry McLaurin. They drafted Deami Brown, so I think they do. Um, the key thing there is that the Chargers are going to be running a defense that is, you know, going to be able to kind of stop the downfield plays. That's kind of the calling card of the Vic Vangio defense. So I think this is a toss up. I, you know, I don't necessarily think the Chargers should be favored, um, but minus two, I think on either side would feel about right to me. Um, but right now I, I just be given the defensive line, offensive line advantage for Washington. I think I'm going to chalk this up as a loss as well. Yeah, and just like we've been saying, I mean, you know, a brand new offensive line playing that defensive line week one, like it's going to take time uh, for it to gel, uh, even though I do think it'll be a dramatic upgrade over over what we got last year. But I will also say L week one. So the home opener against the Dallas Cowboys, obviously Dak Prescott is back. Um, that is kind of the biggest thing that will elevate the Cowboys because they had to deal with Andy Dalton, uh, you know, kind of lowering their ceiling and making them, you know, unwatchable last year. Um, on defense, they're switching to the Seattle cover three. At least that's what I have seen to be the case um, as they brought over Dan Quinn to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, and they have a very, very young defense. You know, Tyler mentioned Micah Parsons, Jabril Cox, and uh, Kelvin Joseph, the corner from Kentucky. They've got a rebuilding defense, and they've got to be able to figure out how they fit Dan Quinn's image. So, you know, if there is one game I, that probably is like a 38 to 35 game, I think it might be the home <laughs> opener for the Cowboys. Um, but I, I do think the Chargers will have enough on defense to slow the Cowboys down and, and get a W to uh, open the season at SoFi. Yeah, I'll also say um, W for this one just because uh, I think the Chargers have the offensive firepower to match it, and I think their defense at this point uh, is still better. And that, that's kind of a rough two-week stretch for the Cowboys because they open at Tampa uh, and then go to, you know, play the Chargers, which hey, that's not an easy 
um, two-game stretch in terms of the offenses you're playing with a defense that is still uh, so young and obviously has a new defensive coordinator and all that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll say W for that one. I'll ditto you guys and say a W as well. Sounds good. So right now we're looking at one and one apparently. Um, <laughs> so week three, the, the Chargers are at the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, very similar situation on the offensive line, obviously rebuilding their, their unit on the fly, getting Orlando Brown via trade, drafting Creed Humphrey, um, and, and doing some other things like adding Kyle Long. They'll get uh, the doctor, the Canadian doctor. Um, what's his name? I Lauren DuVernay-Tardif. Thank you. Good so call. they'll have four new they'll have four new starters out of five most likely. You know, right tackle is going to be Mike Remmers or Lucas Niang. Um, so they're rebuilding their offensive line. Obviously, you got Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. So Alex, what's kind of your thought process here? Week three at Kansas City, where the Chargers have had some recent success. Obviously, last year was against all the backups, but you know it is it is what it is. Um, I don't know. This is the first tough one for me to call just because I do think they have played Kansas City really well. Obviously, this is Justin Herbert's first real game against Kansas City, um, you know, considering, I mean, he did have his, his, you know, his first start, but that was kind of being thrown into the fire in an emergency type of way. You know, yeah. this, this time he'll have obviously everything in the playbook available to him. Um, and so I, I do think that'll help him uh, with all the preparation. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of a relatively even game. Um, it, it is in Kansas City, which which is kind of the tough part. Um, I, I kind of lean L, but I could also I, – I could see this being a win. I mean, you know, the Chargers most recently have won in Kansas City in the Mike Williams game. Um, you know, I don't think it's impossible. And obviously, like we mentioned, like it won't be terribly cold there. Um, you know, getting them this early uh, in Kansas City in September. But that could uh, definitely be an offensive uh, shootout-type game with Mahomes and Herbert. For sure. I just think the Chargers are really going to miss, well, Casey Hayward too, but really Melvin Ingram. I don't think, you know, we've appreciated him enough, or maybe we did, I don't know, how good Melvin Ingram was the last two matchups that he played versus the Chiefs. You know, single-handedly yeah, almost wrecking them. In, what was he? Was the Mexico City game their second game? Versus Kansas City? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or their third? Or their it first? Second, yeah. second. Whatever. Point is, Melvin Ingram is really good against the Chiefs, or has been really good against the Chiefs, and they're going to miss him as well as Casey Hayward. So, uh, you know, this is a toss-up. If they win a game, I would always, like, for some reason, just because they beat them in Kansas City in 2018, like, they can just do it again. But I always would lean towards <laughs> the home team winning in a close game, and yeah. Kansas City's the home team. So I'm going to say that they lose this game. Could be close. Should be a good game. Mitchell Schwartz is certainly worried about this Herbert kid, but I think they're going to lose. I think that was actually, wait, now. That was the first game, right? Yeah. At the Mexico City. Yeah. No, never mind. <laughs> oh, that's right, because then they ended in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. That's when Rivers right. gave his uh, goodbye speech, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm leaning with towards a, a win here. I, I oh. think the Chiefs have kind of started slow in the last couple of years, and, and you know they've kind of taken on that whole, like, we'll win when it matters kind of mantra. Obviously, we'll see how they, they'll react to losing the Super Bowl as opposed to winning it. Um, but I think I'm leaning towards a W here. You know, I think the Chargers do have, again, the defensive scheme to be able to kind of slow down the Chiefs. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, I hope everybody is at least kind of healthy then. So I'm, I'm leaning towards a W in week three. Um, so week four, 
home against the Raiders on Monday Night Football. Again, please go to this game, and if you cannot, sell your tickets to a Chargers fan. Please uh, do not <laughs> sell it to a Raiders fan. Um, so the Raiders are an interesting case, right, because we all know uh, they get Gus Bradley, they get Casey Hayward, they drafted three safeties, they draft, they reached for Alex Leatherwood. Um, so I don't know how much the Raiders have improved. Like, I really don't look at them as – obviously, I think Casey Hayward will be a stabilizing force in the secondary, and – I think Trayvon Merrick will, will you know, be a, a better free safety than who they had, with, which was Eric Harris. So I think they upgraded two spots. I think they downgraded their offensive line in a big, big way. I don't trust their pass rush. So to me on paper, I think this is another win for the Chargers. I think this is a win, but I kind of have a little asterisk. I do think the Raiders can start hot. They have started hot the last couple of years and then tailed off towards the end of the season with, with injuries and their coach not being a good coach. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do think this is a close game just because it is going to be, uh, you know, Monday night uh, kind of Raiders-Chargers at home. Um, I don't know. I, I'll say win – I'm not leaning a particular uh, direction, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, this has to be a win because I got to go with a fan who's freaking obnoxious as hell at these games. <laughs> My dad is so lo- – no, I'm kidding. I-, I love going with him to these games. It's just awkward when I lose. or It's awkward no matter who wins because the other person has to sit there just kind of like all sad on the whole drive. Um, you know, the strength of the Raiders was always their – not always, but recently their offensive line yeah. and Josh Jacobs ran rampant on them and so did – Booker, I believe. And so for them to downgrade their offensive line, I think, you know, I'm not sure Leatherwood puts it together by week four. And yeah, they have an improved secondary on paper, but I think it's still going to take time. And at the end of the day, they have the ultimate adjuster in Brandon Staley and the ultimate non-adjuster in Gus Bradley. <laughs> and I think Staley is going to come out on top. I know it's not a defense versus defense battle, but overall, yeah. you know, the Raiders just didn't like, they're kind of the Raiders. But then again, like they went to New Orleans I think, and beat the Saints on Monday Night Football last year. So anything could happen, but I do think this is a win, inevitably. Yeah, the Raiders obviously have have started hot and fizzled out, like like Alex was saying. Um, I just – I don't look at the Raiders as making any, like, legitimate upgrades outside of Merrick over Eric Harris because, you know, you're switching to a cover three scheme and they have – they don't have any linebackers that can cover unless Mm -hmm. you put Divine Diablo as a linebacker. I don't know if that's their plan, but – um, you know, they don't have a pass rush. I know they have Yannick and Gokwe, so I'm not super worried about that game in terms of the offensive line. Um, and then the offensive line, I, I don't think, is going to be able to give the Chargers defense enough problems. So to me, I, like I said, I, I think this is a win. I, I I just look at the Raiders. I don't I don't know where the upgrades came. You know, maybe defensive coordinator, I, I guess, but that's going to take a while. Like, they've gotten – they've – have a ton of young players who are going to have to learn how to play this cover three scheme as opposed to whatever they were trying to run before that. So week mm-hmm. five home against the Cleveland Browns. To me, this, this is one of the games that I'm most sure is going to be a loss, uh, which is so weird looking at the Browns <laughs> as like this great team. But, you know, I, I look at the upgrades they've made on defense, adding Jadavion Clowney, uh, John Johnson, Troy Hill, Greg Newsome, and, and they got, Alex's guy, Anthony Schwartz, to kind of open things up on offense. So uh, this is one of the games I'm I'm most confident in saying that the Chargers are going to lose, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think this game could go either way. But to me, you know, this is kind of two and three for the Chargers. 
Um, I, I think, look, if you get out of this first six-game stretch, three and three, that's kind of a win um, with the yes. schedule that I have, which is maybe what I'll predict them to do. I'll think about the Ravens game a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, again, offensive line coming together, a little tough. Yeah, the Browns are just a on paper a complete team. I mean, they've now committed to their defense. They have last year committed to their offensive line. And, it, look, this would be a huge win for the Chargers. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the Browns are, are pretty much just pushing for that championship at this point, whereas the Chargers maybe could beat them next year, but it's a little too early for them. And this team is this roster, the Chargers roster, is still trying to change you know, and get rid of, not get rid of, but some of those Lynn you know, guys. The last time they played where they beat down the Browns, so their number one receiver, rusher, top three tacklers, two leading sack guys, and their leading pass defender, they're all gone. They're all gone from that game. So it's it, the Chargers are kind of still trying to figure out who they are yeah, and build yeah. themselves as a team, whereas the Browns, they're just all in at this point. I just think the momentum that the Browns should have, unless for some reason last year was a fluke for Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. If for some reason yeah. that was a complete fluke and they're not as good, then Herbert could have that quarterback um, – edge if you will and and maybe beat them but it's tough luckily they are at home so that does give them a shot but this team i think this is one of the two or three toughest teams they're going to play all year i absolutely agree there so the next team is definitely not any easier week six at baltimore you get another you know west coast to east coast trip uh i'm not too sure if that's an early kickoff i kind of assume it is um, but the Ravens are kind of rebuilding their defense. You know, they lost both of their edge rushers and Yannick Ngakwe and Matthew Judon. They've got, you know, to replace a couple of secondary pieces as well. They're replacing Orlando Brown on offense. They never really replaced. Um, Frick, I'm, I'm so bad with names today. Um, gosh, Marshall Yanda. There we go. Oh. So, you know, but then again, they also drafted – um, Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace. So their receiving core should definitely be upgraded. Their offense should be improved. If Greg Roman can simply be an average play caller, you know, their offense should fire on all cylinders again. So uh, Tyler, what are your thoughts here? Week six at Baltimore. Oh boy. So because they're on the road, I'll probably call this one a loss for the chargers, but I mean, I'm still very excited to watch this game. Yeah. You have Bosa versus Stanley. Like, I know Murray and Queen aren't playing each other, but, you know, they were the linebacker one, linebacker two of the previous draft, and so that's going to be fun. And, of course, Jackson and Herbert, not that they're polar opposites, but you have one guy who's, you know, more of a win with his legs kind of guy, and Herbert's obviously kind of a more win with his arm kind of guy. So it'll be a fun game to watch, but, like, I just think this one's also a loss. Again, if the Chargers can show me that they can stop the run, I'm all for it, but I don't know if they have the edge players or even the interior players. And we'll see about the health of their linebackers at this point. I just don't know if they can stop a run-heavy offense that also now has some weapons on, on offense. Yeah, I feel the same way about the Ravens game. Um, I, I think this could be one of those that the Chargers inexplicably, you know, <laughs> find a way to win uh, yeah, on the East Coast road trip. I mean, they haven't struggled with East Coast road trips too hard. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think the Ravens are just really a really great running team. Uh, you have Lamar Jackson, and he finally has some receivers that are worth a damn. Um, so I think that's uh, I think that's a good matchup uh, on paper and close game, but I'll I'll lean towards the Ravens. So I think that means heading into Week Seven, and me and Tyler are at two and four. Stephen is at three and three. Well, I didn't say if they, I didn't say that they were going to oh. be the Ravens yet. Oh, no. Uh, well, do, do you think they were win or, win or lost? 
Uh, I think they're going to lose. So does that put me at three and three? I haven't been keeping but track. You, yeah. So I said you would, you would still be lost against Washington, win right. against Dallas, win against Chiefs, win against Raiders, loss, loss. Oh yeah, three and three. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this is going to be a tough game for them. And you know, I like I, I said the other day about Brendan Hymas, the Chargers have added a, a lot of highly intelligent offensive linemen, but the blitzing scheme of the Raiders it is so so difficult to prepare for, and it's going to be a short week because they're going to have to travel. So. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a tough matchup for them. Um, so obviously week seven by week eight, they get the revenge game, hopefully against the Patriots on Halloween should be a very, very entertaining game. You know, Staley kind of the young defensive genius, Bill Belichick, the very old defensive genius. Um, Tyler, or Alex, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, what are your thoughts here against the Patriots? I think it'll be uh, kind of a relatively close game, maybe low scoring. Um, the question with the Patriots is, is Mac Jones in by this time? Is it still Cam Newton? That, to me, is um, kind of what leads this to be a little bit uncertain for them, um, as opposed to last year where they kind of knew Cam Newton was the starter every game. So that's an interesting element. Uh, they have obviously gained a lot of you know skilled position players, including Hunter Henry, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe this is a Hunter Henry revenge game. Uh, hopefully not. But, uh, yeah, I, I'll i say win here. Um, I just don't feel like the quarterback thing is solved for the Patriots yet. Um, and I, I think the Chargers, they've taken two straight losses in, in my theoretical reality uh, against the Browns and the Ravens. I think they get a good bounce back game here. Uh, still a lot up in the air with the Patriots, and I don't totally trust their kind of receiving core where Nelson Aguilar is the best wide receiver they have. Um, But I I will say win for the Chargers. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar torched the Chargers last year, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. (laughs) That's true. Um, You know, like I said earlier, the Rams come off their bye last season and held Seattle into Tampa Bay to 40 combined points, which is pretty solid. I. Like, this is, to me, is the game of the season to tell me about Brandon Staley. The matchup here is Staley versus Belichick. It's not quite obviously working like that, but you need, like, if you want to show me that you are a legit head coach, if they go out and beat the Patriots. Now, granted, this isn't exactly the same Patriots team of old. You know, I'm not really sure Cam or Mac Jones are really going to elevate this team, but it's the Patriots. But, you know, if they are to win this game, they're going to have to show that they're an elevated team at every level that they were weak at last year punt coverage, kickoff coverage, field goals, pass blocking, turnovers. And so if they come out with a win, I mean, wow, what a great turnaround for this franchise, I think, because they've had such a hard time beating the Patriots. But until they beat the Patriots, until they beat Belichick, I'm going to call this a loss because they just don't. Like, last season was supposed to be the revenge game for the playoff game, and they got absolutely (laughs) whooped. So I'm not really sure how revenge is going to go this time around. Um, So, yeah, I think this is a loss. I think it's going to be a very competitive game, but I, mm-hmm. again, like I'm with Tyler here. I, I don't, I will never predict a win against the Patriots. I, I just can't. Like, I, like even if we're looking, you know, obviously our predictions can can change. Like if we're we get to this game and the Chargers are, you know, four and two, and the Patriots are two and four or something like that, I'm probably still going to predict, predict a loss. Like yeah. I, I'm never going to predict <laughs> a win against the Patriots. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, on paper, you know, the Patriots do seem to have upgraded. You know, most of their positions of need, they get the two tight ends, which I think is going to be fascinating to watch as a general football fan. Um, they'll get Dante Hightower back. Kyle Van, Kyle Van Oy is back with them after mm-hmm. weirdly being cut by the Dolphins. So um, the Patriots should be better. They should be a much improved team. 
you know, granted they, they whooped the Chargers, but in general, the Patriots look like they're, you know, if Cam Newton or Mac Jones, whoever they start, can, you know, be a little bit better than what Cam was last year, then they should be able to challenge for a playoff spot. So, again, I think that's a loss there. All right, week nine at the Philadelphia Eagles. Alex is conflicted, hold his pillow kind of game. Uh, Alex, are you going <laughs> to be able to attend this game? Uh, no, probably not. I'll, still, well, I'll actually be in another country for medical school. Uh, so I'm probably not going to be at this game. Um, yeah, maybe things can change and I'll, I'll take a trip there. Um, but I'm currently saving for Stitcher's playoff tickets. So, uh, I don't think I'll be able to afford this game. Why would you waste your money like that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a masochist, uh, of all things. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. I, I don't know what the Eagles are going to be this year. I think they'll be kind of bad, but you know, Jalen Hurts takes another step. Uh, and obviously they got yeah. Devonta Smith in the draft. That could be kind of a team that, you know, is maybe one of those shocking nine and eight teams, uh, as opposed to nine and seven. So, um, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what I'll, I'll say it's a win for, for now for the Chargers, um, just because there's a lot of uncertainty. But again, it is a kind of an East Coast road trip. Um, yeah, I, I would say win, but I kind of don't know what the Eagles are going to be. Um, yeah. I still don't really have a good read on that. Yeah, that's a good point. The Chargers need to win this game because I gave Sirianni a lot of shit for his opening presser where he was all <laughs> oh, like, man. we're going to have systems and we're going to make them simple. <laughs> you know, I love what Philly did with the draft. You know, watching that was Alex was pretty fun and getting them getting Smith and they get Dickerson. Then they just load up on defensive line with Milton Williams, Tuipolotu, and Teron Jackson. So, I mean, that's a pretty good defensive line. They already had a defensive line that I remember. Yeah. I'm sorry, Alex, I don't follow the Eagles all that much. But I still think this is a, a win. Like the Eagles, I think are still the worst team, worst team of the two, and and so I, I just think at this point talent wins out, and the Chargers do take this one. Yeah, I agree there, and I think as much as I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts, the person, like I just don't know how, how much I buy him as as an NFL quarterback, and so until I see what you know year two of Jalen Hurts looks like, uh, I'm gonna say this is a win as well. All right, week 10 at home against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they get to play Kirk Cousins, who, you know, got a lot of shade thrown his way this week by Justin Jefferson. Um, that'll be a little bit of fun seeing, you know, Justin Jefferson versus Justin Herbert kind of dynamic. Mm. Um, and, and so I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Uh, but I think the Chargers are going to be able to win this one as well. I think the Vikings defense is still in a little bit of a transition period. Uh, they brought Mackenzie Alexander back. They signed Patrick Peterson. Um, so they don't really have enough on defense for me to be like super worried about the Vikings defense from 2019 that whooped the chargers because most of that team is gone or older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the whole Daniel Hunter who's coming back from injury thing, contract dispute. So I'm not super worried about the Vikings defense. Um, I'm certainly worried about Dalvin cook if he's healthy yeah. Uh, against the Chargers' run defense and, and Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. That'll be a lot of fun watching them go up, up against the secondary. Um, but I think the Chargers' offense will have enough to get a win here against the Vikings in Week 10. Throw a little firecracker in here. We sure Kirk Cousins is going to be the starting quarterback? Because uh, I don't know. I, I feel like that's one that Let's could go, go to Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond. I don't think Kellen Mond is, is ready for a year one starter, man. I, I think that's a long-term thing. I, 
I don't think he is, but I mean, you have Kirk Cousins' teammates publicly trashing him. Um, I mean, it's not a great situation, and like Kirk Cousins is kind of the definition of quarterback purgatory. Like I, you know, I kind of just wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit of a, you know, this year's version of Wentz hurts. Uh, a little bit where, you know, you have Kirk, he struggles a little bit, or, you know, he's kind of in the middle. Um, and maybe the Vikings start to slide and they put Mound in there. I, you know, I, I wouldn't predict it to happen, but I really wouldn't be surprised by it at this point. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know what the Vikings are this year either. I mean, they, they do have some offensive and defensive talent, not quite as much defensive talent as they had, I think, in previous years. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll say win for the Chargers, so I think I have them at five and four at this point, and that that feels fair. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of interesting things about this matchup. Just it's, it is the extra home game. Uh, hopefully, the fans show up, like we've kind of been saying with the other games. Um, but yeah, I, I would say win, but of course, you know, they could get burnt by Justin Jefferson for 200 yards, and we have to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> As long as Herbert throws for more than 200 and looks like the better rookie of the year candidate, that's fine. You know, I watched enough Vikings games with my brother-in-law to know that the Vikings do, they flop. Like, they have stupid games. They are situationally not a good team. I believe they totally botched that game against Seattle last year. I can't remember what the, the situation was, but they totally botched it. So they can be had. I don't know if the Chargers have the personnel to keep up, but I think, like, the Chargers get him at home. And so I'll give them a win on this one. It'll be really close, but I, I do think the Chargers have just enough, and the Vikings kind of can flop enough when they're not like they're a team that just kind of underperforms anyway. So I'll give this one to the Chargers as well. Yeah. So getting back to Alex's point about Kirk Cousins versus Kellen Mond, the Vikings schedule is the opposite of the Chargers. So the Vikings schedule is very difficult down the stretch, mm. but they open with the Bengals, Cardinals, Seahawks, Cleveland, Detroit, Carolina. And then they have a bye week, and then Dallas, Baltimore, Chargers. So it could happen. I, I could see them benching Kirk Cousins after the Chargers. Um, but, man, their their final few games here at San Francisco, at Detroit, Pittsburgh, at Chicago, home against the Rams, at Green Bay, home against the Bears. So that's a tough way to say, all right, rookie, here you go. So <laughs> I just don't know. Like, as a prospect, I, I didn't like Kellen Mond enough to say like yeah he's a year one starter um but if they are at the point where they are you know losing having a losing season which is certainly possible then I, I could see Mond coming in eventually but I don't think he'll be there against the Charters yeah I mean right, you we, just oh, you just you just read me that schedule and uh, I changed my mind Kirk Cousins uh, <laughs> Vikings fans Vikings fans you get to enjoy one more season of Kirk Cousins <laughs> And I think they could get. I think they can cut him in the off season uh, and save a bunch of money. So I think next year is probably the Kelmon year. But again, if Kirk Cousins is decent again and they're eight and nine, nine and eight, then they'll probably talk themselves into another year of Kirk Cousins. Um, all right, next one. This is another tough game for the Chargers. Uh, home against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night Football. Going to be a huge game, and hopefully get some revenge again. Kind of the theme for the Duck Hodges game. Um, the Steelers, obviously, they lost Bud Dupree in the offseason. Uh, Big Ben, who knows how he's going to be playing this year. They bring back Judas, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, had one of the worst drafts of anyone in the league, in my opinion. 
drafting a running back and a tight end when they had an atrocious offensive line last year. So, mm-hmm. Tyler, what are your thoughts here for the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 11 on Sunday Night Football? Well, that's just it. Like, first of all, I hate that this is a home, at home, and I have to freaking show up to this, and it's going to suck. <laughs> but, you know, if they come out with a win, all is good. Fortunately, like you mentioned, the Steelers went running back and tight end in the draft instead of replacing, I don't know, Filer, Villanueva, Pouncey, yeah. you know, all these guys, and 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 you know, let Creed Humphrey go to the go to the Chiefs. I know, you but, bastard. <laughs> Um, so, you know, and also losing Dupree. And, and so I think this Steelers team, they could have beat the Chargers this year with a good draft. Instead, they went in a different direction. And sure, like Najee Harris will be a problem for the for the Chargers for sure. Yeah. But they didn't go with offensive line and they lost a pass rusher. So, yeah, I'll give the Chargers a win for this one and, and hopefully finally get that home primetime win they've been missing against the Steelers. Uh, I'll give the Chargers the win too. I, I think this is kind of a... Interesting game. Really depends where Pittsburgh is in this point in the year. Um, yeah. I think week 11 is actually the first week they can flex. Um, so you never know. I don't think that game will be flexed. I don't think Pittsburgh will be that bad. Um, but you never know. Big Ben is kind of going downhill. Uh, and it wouldn't be surprised me if that catches up with them sooner rather than later. But they're never usually worse than 8-8. Eight eight. So I guess we'll just kind of function off of that. Um but, yeah, they, they do have Juju Schuster still as a weapon. Um, Najee Harris behind kind of a bad offensive line. Um, but we also have seen that the Chargers haven't defended the run game well. So, you know, even if he's behind a bad line, you know, Najee Harris having his first breakout rookie game wouldn't shock me here um, just because of how bad the Chargers' run defense has been. So um, I'll chalk it up as a win. So I think at this point I'm at six and four, something like that. Um, but yeah, I I think this is a very winnable game compared to Steelers teams from previous years. Um, I don't feel totally confident about it because again, you know, we can't really count for the factor of you know how many Steelers fans are going to be in the building and does that give them you know the advantage they had last time where they're playing Renegade in the stadium? God, I hate that whole corny city. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, I I hope the Chargers win that one for sure. Yeah. You know, I look at the Steelers in a very similar way to how I look at the Raiders. I don't know outside of going from James Conner to Najee Harris, where did they upgrade this off season? You know, I really liked Kendrick Green as a prospect, but you know, going from Marquise Pouncey to Kendrick Green is a big drop off. Um, I don't even know. I know Zach Banner is going to start one of the tackle spots, but is he that much better than Matt Filer or Alejandro Villanueva? I don't really know. And so, you know, this idea that they had that they could solve their offensive line issues by drafting a running back, that makes no damn sense. Like, like really think about that kind of concept. That would have been like the Chargers looking at their offensive line this year and be like, all right, Najee Harris at 13, let's do it. So I just don't look at them as being like, how much did they improve? I think losing Bud Dupree is huge, and they cut Steven Nelson after he was unhappy. So hmm. I, I'm not intimidated by this Steelers team. I, I think that they will be very solid. You know, they won eight games with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. So I think that the Steelers will be in the playoff contention, um, but I think the Chargers will be able to win this game as well. All right, so next game here, week 12. Let me pull this back up, make sure I say it right. Um, they play at the Denver Broncos. Could have had Justin Fields, might get Aaron Rodgers. Who knows who their quarterback is at this point? Uh, the Chargers have always struggled at Denver. 
So, Tyler, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, that's pretty much it. They struggle at Denver. And <laughs> even though Justin Herbert and the Chargers, like, they had their best offensive performance really possible for someone who has to travel to Denver. And the defense yeah. had a really good three quarters. And then they died. And, you know, they, they haven't won in Denver since, you know, the 2018 game where really no team really cared that game. So if I'm not counting that as a legit game, they haven't won in Denver since 2013. And like the Keenan Allen game. Yeah, the Keenan Allen game. And I just I just I can't give them a win on this one. It's kind of like the Patriots were like, if you win in Denver this year, I'll believe you moving forward. But until you win in Denver, I'm not gonna pick you to win in Denver. Even though like I will absolutely give them the win against the Broncos on paper and I'll give them the win against the Broncos in their home game. But traveling to Denver is just kinda weird for the Chargers and I'm gonna give this give them a loss here, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Tyler. I think this is kind of a season split situation, so they'll probably yeah. win their home game, yeah. uh, lose their road game. Um, obviously, uh, I reserve the right to change that prediction if they actually do get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Um, that should be really <laughs> terrible. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, it's just really hard for, for the defense to play in Denver, uh, as, as we've kind of seen the last couple of years, whether it's Bridgewater, whether it's Locke. This just feels like one of those L's you can pencil in. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm quite that pessimistic about it. Obviously, a very winnable game if it is Locke or Bridgewater, not Rodgers. But, um, yeah, it, it's. I'm curious to see what their defense is like, too. But I'll say L for now. I mean, their defense is, is going to be very, very good. And that was the case before they drafted Patrick Sertan. So, um Going to be interesting there, obviously, to see who the quarterback is. And more interesting – well, not more interesting, but also interesting to see who the running back is because Javante Williams is, uh, at this point, I think a better option than Melvin Gordon, but that's just mm-hmm. me. I hate Melvin Gordon. So I, I think they're going to lose this game too, like Tyler said. Until they win in Denver, I'm not going to predict it. Uh, week 13 at Cincinnati, you get Burrow versus Herbert. Uh, a very, very winnable game. I think the Bengals, outside of their receiving group with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase – I think their roster is pretty damn bad. So uh, I'm going to give the Chargers a win here at Cincinnati. I'm not scared enough of Joe Burrow at this point in his career where, where I'm worried about the Chargers defense not being able to stop him. Um, so to me, this is this is one of the easier games to pick. I think the Chargers will win this game um, kind of easily, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I'll do the same thing I did with Kelamond. Uh, but for another reason, are we sure Joe Burrow is going to be the quarterback because of injuries? Uh, who knows? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think this is – Panay Sewell, man. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm not going to do Chase versus Sewell Wars. Uh, I've earned the right to be past that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I think this is a win uh, for the Chargers, so I'll have them at 7-5 and five at this point. And they start to enter this kind of easy, easier stretch compared to what they had before. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Bengals, you know, maybe I, I don't, I haven't seen their schedule and what it's like. I'd imagine since they're in the AFC North, it still is hard. Um, but yeah, that this should be should be a win. Uh, I think Burrow versus Herbert could have some fireworks, but the Bengals defense just don't think it's there yet. Yeah. yeah, this Bengals team is still a bad team, and their strength was their receiving core, and they just added a receiver to that receiving core. It's a good wide receiver, absolutely, but their weakness is still the same weakness, and Burrow is going to be pressured 240 times before the you know before the Week 13 game, and it's going to be dreadful for him to you know now show up against well God willing and hopefully they're healthy you know Bosa and all these guys 
I don't really like this is the game where I like I feel it's a confident win. I just don't see it from Cincinnati, yeah. which absolutely means they're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see about that. So Alex, to your to your question about their schedule, uh, they open against the Vikings and then Bears, Steelers, Jaguars, Packers, Lions, Ravens, Jets, Browns, then a bye. Then Raiders, Steelers, Chargers, Niners, Broncos, Ravens, Chiefs, Browns. So they That's might close awful. the season on like a – like you. that might be an eight-game losing streak to close the season. Like that is a brutal schedule. Wow. Derek Stingley, welcome to Cincinnati. <laughs> Full-on LSU reunion there. Absolutely. Um, all right, week 14 for the Chargers at home against the turnover machine, Daniel Jones. Uh, we'll see. Apparently that's kind of been a thing where he improved his turnovers at the end of the season. I don't really buy that. Um, obviously get, they get Kenny Galladay. They add a Dory Jackson. So they have made some good upgrades. I think this is definitely the, the prove it year for Daniel Jones. Um, Alex, do you think he will actually be able to prove it though? Uh, I, I think it could improve. I mean, you know, he, he does have better weapons now with, uh, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony in the fold. Um, so I, I think they could improve their offensive line. I still think is a little bit concerning because they lost Seitler yeah. and, and made some moves, but I don't know if they've really fixed their offensive line, which, you know, if you're going to pressure Daniel Jones and then cause him to fumble, that's a problem <laughs> still. Um, but you know, hopefully he, he has improved the turnovers for the Giants' sake. Um, I don't know if I fully buy what they are on defense yet. Uh, I think they're a competent offense. I still don't know what I think of Joe Judge, really. Um, I, I didn't yeah. think he was great last year when it came to situational football. So, um, But I also don't know what Staley is when it comes to situational football yet. Hopefully better than Lynn. Uh, so this is kind of a interesting game. I'll say Chargers win, um, but yeah, it could go either way. I don't think it goes either way. I think they win this one. I just don't think the Giants are a very good team. I completely acknowledge that Barkley could run all over the defense, but Jones will inevitably turn the ball over. Um, Steven, is there a reason you hate Daniel Jones like as much as like Zach Wilson? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> you like every time you talk about him, he's like, oh, every week during on Sundays, you're like, well, there's another fumble. Oh, there's another interception. <laughs> and, like nobody else gets that treatment, but Daniel Jones. I don't know, man. It's just kind of funny. Like this this guy that the Giants you know drafted six overall, and everybody thought that he was gonna be like going in the twenties, and and he just turns the ball over like so much. Like he's got like. <laughs> 37 career interceptions and like 25 fumbles. So I don't know. It's just, it's just funny. Maybe I'll ease up a little bit on Daniel Jones from here on out. To be fair with how that 2019 quarterback class uh, has gone, I think Daniel Jones might still be QB (laughs) two. That is true. That is true. So Tyler, did you say if you thought that they were going to win? Oh yeah. I think they're going to win. Okay. I do too as well. I just, I don't know how much I buy Joe judge. I don't know how much their defense is, is going to be solid. You know, I think adding Aziz Ojolari in the second round was a really good pick for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll have Leonard Williams from the interior, and that's going to be, you know, a, a prove-it game for the interior offensive line of the Chargers. You know, you do, can they be able to stop a Dal- Dalvin Tomlinson and, and Leonard Williams? Um, so interesting challenge there. All right, next one, week 15 against the Chiefs on Thursday night football. Um, I'm kind of in the opposite way here. You know, I think, you know, they're going to be able to win at – Kansas City and lose this game. Uh, this is traditionally when we see the Chiefs kind of ramp up everything and really get on a roll. Um, until we see that not happen, I'm going to expect that to continue to happen. Uh, so unfortunately, I think the Chargers will lose here on Thursday Night Football against the Chiefs. Yeah, 
I sort of changed my mind on it. I, I think I initially said I thought that we're going to split it. I don't think they're going to split it anymore. Um, I, I, I do think this is when the Chiefs get good. Obviously, yeah. this is a very similar week. I don't know if it's the exact same week. Probably not uh, the, the Mike Williams game uh, a few years ago. Um, so, so maybe the Chargers get a little lucky, and it is at home for them, which is better. But, yeah, I, I just think Andy Reid, this late in the season, uh, the Chiefs at, do figure stuff out. Um, I think they can split, but as of now, I'll call it a loss. Yeah, I'm going to call this one a loss, too. I think at this point also, like realistically, the Chargers are too injured to keep up in this game. As long as Mahomes is healthy, I think they can win. And sure, yeah, Herbert, if he's healthy, like he did pretty well with limited weapons at the end of the season. But like I just think this this Chargers team, I, I'm not going to give them a win in, until they start winning against the Chiefs. And yeah, the 2018 game, I know it wasn't that long ago, but it kind of was now. It's 2021. And yeah, I'm just going to give them a loss here. And I, I do think they are going to get swept by the Chiefs. Yeah, I think it's just such a tough thing to look at right now because the Chiefs are the class of the conference until proven otherwise. And, you know, again, like I said, this is kind of where we see them ramp things up, and they're they're so good down the stretch of the season. All right, week 16 at Houston, another kind of situation where we don't really know who the hell is going to be quarterback at this point. Frankly, I'd be a little surprised if it's Deshaun Watson, whether or not his legal situation uh, resolves itself. I think he's not going to be on the team. They're either going to trade him or he's not going to be on the team because of his legal issues. Um, so at this point, it's probably going to be Davis Mills. Um, I, I think the Texans are looking the number one overall pick square in the face for next year. That roster is, is really, really bad. Like Desmond King might be their best defensive player, which, you know, I know people are kind of sick of me shitting on Desmond King, but that's, <laughs> that's not very good. Um, so Alex, do you think this is one of those games that, the Chargers should absolutely win and lose, or what do you think happens here? I mean, I think the, the Giants are kind of that game. That's kind of why I said that one could go either way. Um, this one's not going either way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, yeah. This Texans roster is really bad than the traditional tanking rosters, I feel like. Um, you know, so that's that's why, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, will it be Deshaun Watson? Will it be Davis Mills? Will it be Tyrod Taylor? You know, I, I don't really know if it matters just because that roster is so bad. And we saw a quarterback have a great a season as Deshaun Watson did last year, and they still went 4-12, and 12, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think this is a could-go-either-way one. I think the Chargers win this one pretty decisively. And then, like you said, uh, the Texans are probably looking the number one pick right in the face. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I look – Maybe the Chargers really do start to blow it and, you know, somehow inexplicably lose this game. But, like, out of all the games on the schedule, this is the one where I'm like, they can't lose that one. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not even just, like, maybe in a neutral field where we don't know what the records are. It's perhaps possible that the Houston Texans could pull it. But, honestly, this Texans team wants to lose. Like, I think they're going to <laughs> want to lose. Yeah. And they showed that when they drafted a quarterback with their first pick. And then moved up later in the draft for Nico Collins, I think. And it was just like, what are you doing? Um, I would love more than anything for this to be a Tyrod Taylor revenge game. If he's still standing by week 16 with this Houston Texans team, he deserves an MVP at that point because that is a <laughs> dreadful season to have with the team. But, like, this team sucks. This team is really bad. So, I yeah, this is, a, this is the easiest win on the schedule. And even if it's close going into the fourth quarter, 
I think this Houston Texans team is just going to pull a, a um, Adam Gase, who's the defensive coordinator for the Jets, and just call like an all-out blitz and oh, to the Greg Raiders. Williams. Yeah, Greg Williams. I think they're just going to call it Greg Williams and blow this game at the very end, even if it's close. Yeah, I don't see a world in which Houston wins more than three games this year. Like, you know, Larry Mont- Laramie Tunsil's a really good left tackle, and Titus Howard is okay at right tackle. And obviously if they have Deshaun Watson, he's a really good quarterback. That's about it. Like, that, that is literally it on the roster, um, which made the, them trading up for Nico Collins and taking Davis Mills is weird. Like, that's not typically how you see rebuilding teams handle a rebuild. Like, they should have been trying to trade back have some draft capital for next year, and you get the number one pick, you're not passing on a quarterback because you've drafted Davis Mills in the third round. Like, So it was it's a terrible roster, terrible draft. I just They're not losing that game to the Texans. If, you, week could 17, clone, home against, if, you, could, if you could clone Laramie Tunsil and have him play all of the linebacker positions and the corner positions, it would be better than what they have right now. <laughs> it's a huge weed, Bill. <laughs> but Larry Tunsil at wide receiver, honestly. <laughs> uh, week 17, home against the Broncos, the the final home game of the season for the Chargers. Um, you know, I said before, I feel like they'll split against the Broncos. I just don't look at the Broncos' offense unless they have Aaron Rodgers. That will definitely change things. Um, but right now, I think this is going to be a win for the Chargers. They'll end the season, the home season at SoFi on a high note. Yeah, I think they'll also split this game, uh, although we have seen games that the Chargers should beat the Broncos at home. The, the infamous uh, Rivers, you know, should have taken the sack uh, a couple of years ago. Um, that that was, I think, at, at uh, StubHub or whatever, Health, whatever it was called at that point. <laughs> um, it's also that for a bit. Um, but, yeah, I said so they split, and while I kind of reneged on my chief split pick, um, I don't think the Broncos are quite that good. But obviously, like I said, there's a huge number 12 that looms in the distance um, potentially for that team. So that could change things. But as of now, I would call that a win. I think the Chargers would split with the Broncos even if Rodgers was on the team. It depends on what they give up. If the Packers get nothing for Rodgers, then forget about it. The, the Broncos are going to the Super Bowl. But <laughs> considering what they'd probably give up, yeah. I think the Chargers still could split. Yeah, they could. Same thing. I think they lose at Denver, and I think they win here. Yeah, I mean, the Packers, like, I know there's, you know, a lot of people have been shitting on their front office, but they're not stupid. Like, they're not going to give Rodgers away for free. Like, to me, it it starts – it should start, in my opinion, with, like, three first-round picks and two legitimate starters. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they get, you know, two future firsts and, you know, a Jerry Judy or or that kind of player, maybe they get Patrick Sertan in the trade or or something like that, then I, I think that would be a fair deal for both sides. Um, but, yeah, I think that does change things. Obviously, they have Rodgers, but, um, you know, we'll have to see how that pans out. All right, season finale, week 18 at the Raiders. Um, you know, they get to go play at the uh, – I'm not going to call it the Death Star because that's stupid um, – at the uh, the DJ Roomba Las Vegas Stadium. Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts here about the season finale at the Raiders? Um, it's kind of a tough game to predict just because I don't know what yeah. the stakes will be at that point. Like, yeah. you know, maybe perhaps the Chargers are still challenging for the division. Maybe the Raiders are challenging for a wild card or, or vice versa. Um, but it also could be a game where the Raiders are a four and 12 team and the Chargers <laughs> have nothing to play for or also vice versa. Like it's, it's such a tough game. 
um, to predict in that regard. And like, you know, will it be flexed into an important spot in week 18 or no? Um, I'll say that the Chargers win that game. I do think even though they get swept by the Chiefs, split with the Broncos, I just don't think the Raiders are where they need to be kind of yet as a, as a defensive team now. Um, Gus Bradley does concern me a little, not because I think he'll be this great defensive coordinator, but he does know the Chargers pretty well um, and has been able to limit AFC West teams in the past. Um, so that does concern me kind of this deep in the season, but who knows what the Raiders roster will be um, at, at this point. Same with the Chargers. Uh, that's why it makes it harder to predict a week. 18 game like this uh, with what the stakes are. So I'll say uh, Chargers win, and I think if I add everything up, um, I have them at 11 and six, uh, which yeah, <laughs> which I think was what I just said. With uh, yeah, I'll say them at 10 and seven, and uh, in four months I'll think completely differently. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Dad. I don't think that the Raiders are going to win either game. Could they? Sure. Should they? Nah. Like I don't think. Like I'm sure Gruden is fighting for his job at this point. Um, I, I don't know how long, unless Mark Davis really just wants to give him the entire ten years. But I, if I were like yeah. a you know an actual owner, like I would you know not want a bunch of mediocrity for another season. So he probably has job security. But either way, I, I think the Raiders just lose this one. They're just not very good for the same reasons they lose the first one. They're going to lose this one. You know, did the Raiders have home field advantage? I guess, but like whatever. Like I don't think the team's that good. So. I have finished at 10 and 7. I was 9 and 8 about halfway through the episode, but I did give them the win over the Vikings. So I am at 10 and 7 now. I'll be interested to see when more teams start seeding and getting into the playoffs. I'll see what 10 and 7 actually means. Like usually if you went and go like yeah. 10 and 6, like you're making the playoffs. That's a pretty good season. A little bit better than average for sure. 10 and 7, like I don't really know how, what that looks like in terms of the playoff picture. So I think that's a good season. Obviously, it's you won more games than you lost, but, you know, that's pretty solid. I think it's pretty realistic. Right. We also saw yeah. I mean, all three uh, all three wildcard teams last year were 11-5. and five. So, you know, you could have a season like that, too. Yeah. The AFC is so good, man. And, and mm-hmm. it's going to be tougher. You know, I think, you know, in my opinion, you've got Kansas City and Buffalo who are in Indianapolis, I think, are locks to make the playoffs. I think those three – teams are, are likely to win their divisions. And then you've got New England, you've got Miami, you've got um, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, the Chargers, the, the Broncos potentially. Like there's a lot of teams who could be vying for those wild card spots. So real quick before I get to mine, I don't think the Chargers are going to win this game. I don't think the Raiders are bad enough to be swept personally. Um, but the thing that I think will change this is like Alex was saying, like, what are the Raiders at this point? So just real quick, week 12, they get the Cowboys. Week 13, they get Washington. Week 14, they get the Chiefs. Week 15, the Browns. Week 16, sorry. Week 16, the Broncos. And then week 17, the Colts. And then the Chargers. So that's a tough schedule for them as well down the stretch. So they could certainly be looking at, you know, at this point in the season being – you know, that four and 11 kind of record or four and 12, I guess. So it has all the, it has all the makings of six and three and then six and 10, (laughs) (laughs) which they've done the last two years. Um, As for John Gruden's job security, they can't afford to fire him. Like they have no choice. They have to hold on to him for like the next two or three years. Like they, they can't fire him. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so that puts me 
personally at 10 and 7 as well. Um, so I, I, I know I have people to re- have been kind of. I have to recount because how was I more optimistic than you guys? Wait. <laughs> I have to recount this. The tables wow. have turned. Look at um, that. But like. People have been saying to me, like, I've been, like, kind of trying to pump the brakes, and people are like, well, you're being so pessimistic. Are you even a fan? And it's like, like I've been conditioned by years and years of, of underwhelming seasons <laughs> to be cautiously optimistic at this time. I'm also a University of Utah fan, and it's been the same thing in my entire life. So that's just the way my brain works is to be cautiously optimistic. But right now, sitting here in May, I have the Chargers going 10-7, and seven, which I think would be a fantastic opening season for Brandon Staley. Oh yeah. Um, that puts them right on potentially on the borderline of making the playoffs. So yes, I'm like pumping the brakes. Like I'm not expecting this team to be, you know, Super Bowl contenders in year one, but I, I think they can challenge for a playoff spot. And that obviously shows it in my 10 and seven prediction right now. I think we lost Alex. Oh, never well, mind. no, no, I, no, I was just looking at the schedule on my phone. So I actually do have 11 and six. So uh, yeah, so much for my heel turn. I'm I'm the I'm the positive Chargers fan now, uh, and you can redirect <laughs> all your, uh, you know, pessimistic claims to Stephen. <laughs> I think Stephen and I are slightly older, which means we're a little more salty in season. So I think we just like brought it down <laughs> one more notch. Yeah, we've been conditioned a little bit longer. But then again, Alex until the Super Bowl, you know, the Eagles had a had a rough stretch as well during Alex's uh, high school years and middle school years too. I will say uh, I. None, none of you are conditioned as me. The Sixers went 10 and 72 one year, um, and so none of you are conditioned. Yeah, if there's anyone who knows how to trust the process, it, it is Alex. Oh. All right, guys, any final thoughts here before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, so we, we don't play the Jags, but I do want to shout out Urban Meyer for bringing Tim Tebow discussions back uh, again. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's great. Um, I'll just say, I mean, Stephen usually recaps it anyway, but, you know, on Friday we're going to do that little fundraiser for yeah. Taylor and his, his home, his family. That was a awful situation. I'm glad the Chargers are stepping up. Pat McAfee and the other Chargers fans are stepping up. So we're going to help, and if it ends up being $24 that we donate, hey, we helped, we tried, you know, and that's all that matters. Everyone stepping up has been pretty cool, and that's something positive that I've really loved to see from the fans so far. Yeah, the, the Pat McAfee thing was huge. I don't know if he saw it because the Chargers tweeted about it, but um, last I checked, you know, uh, Jen Mills' GoFundMe was close to $10,000 for them. So uh, we're very happy to be able to help out. And like Tyler said, we're doing the live Q&A uh, tomorrow as you're listening to this, and that's going to be set up in, in the Super Chat feature. You know, you guys, like, we've been able to do the last few times. Uh, so anyone who uses the Super Chat feature tomorrow during the Q&A, all of those proceeds will go right towards that GoFundMe, um, and, and hopefully we're able to kind of help out there. So uh, that'll be a fun way for you guys to to help out as well and, and participate in that kind of that kind of good service for him. So uh, can't thank you guys enough for tuning in. This has been a fun episode. Uh, this is probably pushing an hour and a half with the two interviews at this point. I, I don't know until I, I edit the audio, but um, this is this is exciting times, right? We had the draft, the schedule release. So lots of good stuff here. Make sure and subscribe uh, to whatever whatever platform you're listening to us on. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Comment on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you learned something, what you think the Chargers record is going to be, we'll love, we'll love to have some discussion there. And, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.